tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. In Guitar Lesson 33, Dan and I examine some of the obstacles you might come up against, particularly in your rhythm playing, when playing an open mic night. In this lesson, which is in response to some questions by one of our listeners, we look at the rhythm part of Valerie with some hints to help your performance, including pick mechanics, dynamics, muting, percussive hits and compressors. So we've had some really interesting responses out there to, to some of our rhythm playing podcasts and things which are more dealing with sort of chords rather than the single notes, haven't we? Yeah, it's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a student that's come to me on the basis of the podcasts, and they actually the other day, just a few days ago, asked for a complete rerun of the podcast we've just released with the sort of Hendrix style double stops and that because they, they felt it was a really useful thing and we've also had some emails via facebook messenger uh, from a chap called carlos so hi carlos hello carlos hello mate so thank you for your continued support we really really appreciate that and we've been sort of answering some of carlos's messages and things and he came up with a very interesting point now i was actually talking to him this morning via messenger and i said to him you know what you're suggesting as a podcast what a great idea Uh, let's do it Let's do yeah. it. And here we are tonight, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So let me explain what that was all about. Basically, he wanted to know if he was good enough to be in a band. He had some reservations, and I suggested that he find an open mic night, a jam night, go out there, put yourself out there, maybe prepare a couple of songs, give it a try. You'll be surprised, you know, to be a, a useful and effective band member. You don't have to be one of the musical elite but you just have to have something good to bring to the table. And also you find when you're playing live, it's a really good magnifying glass for error. And not just the errors you might make with your actual playing, but also the errors you might make with your sound, with your tone, with controlling your volume and all that sort of thing. So maybe there's one or two things there. Maybe you can prompt me later that I might sort of briefly run through. I know we've been through the whole pedal podcast and all that sort of thing. But there would be maybe sort of room for some interesting basic tips just to get people started in that regard so that they've got a usable rig for live use. Perfect. It sounds like Carlos actually as well has got quite a good uh, sense of that with his volume control as well. Because he said he said he noticed his uh, funk strumming was sounding a little bit out and so yeah. he turned his volume down a bit and that's actually got to be a good practice. Of course. I mean, if, you know, if you can't hear where you're going wrong, that's the worst thing. It's like young people can be cocky, but it's when they're cocky and they think they know everything, <laughs> yeah. and they're really in trouble. And yeah, with yeah. adults. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you know if you know that there's something you're doing that's not right, at least you can kind of rectify it and get yourself on the right path. That's obviously going to help you. So there's a couple of points I wanted to cover. I hope that's all right with you. It's perfect with me. Strumming rhythm, strumming patterns, getting funky, getting in the groove. Those are all things I just want to keep working on. Absolutely. For the benefit of Carlos, what he was interested in was the mechanics of strumming. Now, we often see people do it because it becomes a, an automatic reaction for a guitarist to just pick up a guitar and strum or whatever. It's something that you know you, people have been doing from the day they've learned their first chord. But the actual mechanics of it, what's involved from the point of view of you know mechanically with your hands, with your arms, strumming that chord and also the coordinating with your other hand, and muting with the other hand is very important. Yep. The first thing I'd like to look at was a song that he said he did at the open mic night, and he was kind of struggling with it, I think. Not maybe with the song itself as such, 
but with kind of getting that rhythm. Yep. Now, this song was Valerie, originally done by the Zootons, I believe in the key of E. Well, sometimes I go out by myself and I look across the water And I think of all the things, what you do And then done by Amy Winehouse in the key of E flat. Played in a wedding band for a few years, and we took it down to D, which is very guitar friendly yeah, and yeah. vocal friendly. So let's look at it in the key of D. Just going to look at the first two chords. Okay, D major seven, right? And obviously, for all you folks out of here who learnt it in E flat, jack it up a fret, and you're there, folks. So yeah, D major seven. So we're at the fifth fret playing a D major seven bar chord and then E minor 7 at the 7th fret now you can either play the full E minor 7 chord 7th, 9th, 7th, 8th and 7th or you can do what I do and do the jazzy version oh, yeah, yeah. which is 7 on the A mute the D 7 on the G 8 on the B mute the top E now with this song what I'm always looking for with rhythm is not always exactly what's been played on the track. Now, I know that might sound like a bit of a terrible felony, but sometimes when you listen to a track, guitar can be buried deep within it. Yeah. Now, in all honesty, when you go to an open mic night, unless you have the luxury of a keyboard player, usually, it's if we're honest, quite guitar-orientated often, isn't it? Yep. You know, or guitar forms quite a large part of it. So... I try and pick up on the whole rhythm of what's going on. If there are other instrumentalists, well, fine, let's pair it back a little bit and play a little less. But when you need to drive that rhythm forward, which was especially the case when I was playing in a three-piece, you need something fairly meaty as a guitar player, even if you're playing like a, a clean sound. Now, what I've advocated with this song is playing on the offbeat. The offbeat is the in-between part of the beat. So instead of going one, two, three, four, as in this, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, I'm going to play in between those counts. So if we put an and in between, one and two and three and four and, I'm going one and two and three and four and. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's harder, isn't it? Yeah. It's harder, Carlos. (laughs) One and two and three and and one and two and three and four okay now it then changes three minus seven one and two and three and four and 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 one and two and three and four now on its own that sounds quite driving but quite plain yep So let's put maybe a little something, even if it's a mute or something, in on the first beats. So the one. If you think of it, we're doing like something quiet, something loud. Quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud. If you think of a drummer, does he hit the snare all the time? Unless you're listening to a pretty vicious thrash record. Third beat or something like that. Yeah, it's it's in, in between everything else. So essentially, like that loud cracking drum 
is in between the hi hats and goodness knows what. Yeah. Because it's providing the accent. Yeah. You know, the the bass drums are essentially providing the backbeat. The the snare is providing that crack, that that real keeping you in time bit. So it's not there's nothing you know, he's not just sitting there hitting a the snare drum going, Oh ding ding you know, he's hitting other stuff. It's just not as loud. Or yeah. he's not hitting it as loud. So we can pick up on that percussive element as a guitar player. fits in with the vocal yeah yeah you know, it's great yeah i'm no amy winehouse but <laughs> you, you can hear how well it, it drops in with the vocal yeah it's picking up the rhythm where it needs to be yep now if we go to the chorusy bit we've got g f sharp minor g now a now when i got to the a to give a little anticipation, and again, this is only my take on it. I got if I if Nessa, I think yeah. something's like really got to be the way it is. I kind of write my own rhythm parts, but it's always worked. Yeah, and people don't usually turn around at me and go, "Your rhythm parts are rubbish." Yeah, you know, you, usually it works. It's quite a driving. Yeah, it's a yeah. driving force. Yeah, if I'm playing with another guitar player, I will pair things back. And usually play less. Yeah. And I'll let maybe the solos speak for themselves. Yeah. But often when I'm playing in, say, a three-piece, I'm building all of those dynamics into my one performance. So whereas in other places you can hold it back, you can come up together playing something louder, creating that... Dynamic. That dy- yeah, yeah, that dynamic kind of reaction in a song. When you're on your own in a three-piece band, you've got the harmony vocals providing everyone sings, and then you've got you know you as a guitar player and how you react with the whole band. You're doing it all yourself. Yeah, there aren't really other instruments that you can bring in apart from voices. Yeah, if you follow. So what I usually do is that's then the anticipation to the the chorusy bear. That's the part I put. Now I know that sounds like a bit of a nightmare. We're gonna, so I'm playing an A chord, which is second fret of the of the D, G, and B strings. Then it's like the all right now chord four, yeah. two, and three, like the D with a, and then I've got five, two, and a five, same three strings, and then back to the all right now chord. Now, as I say, I'm not saying to you it's got to be this way, but it just seemed to work for me. Yeah, okay, I like that. So I'm going to play through a complete cycle, joining as you see fit. Yeah, no, I think I'll sit and listen for a moment. Here we go. Major 7, E minor 7, and finishing on D major 7. That's it. Cool. When you're listening to, you're deciding what to play, you need to listen to what other people are playing around you, and really a band should move. Yeah. You know, if you're a ship on the sea, you have to move with the waves. Okay, you can try moving across the waves or something like that. But the waves, to a degree, are going to sort of carry you, aren't they? Yeah, there's no getting away from that. Exactly. 
And in the same way as a guitar player, you want that kind of synergy where you work together with everybody else. Drama gets quiet, you get quiet. There's nothing worse. Well, there probably is. Let's not go there. We've all, <laughs> we've all got Sky TV. <laughs> but yeah. there's something really uncomfortable for me when I hear somebody kind of carrying on playing really loud when the drummer and the bass player have got quiet. Yeah. It's like, where's your sensitivity, man? Yeah. You know, Aren't you listening? You, yeah, exactly. You, yeah. you know, you're a musician. You, you wanted to do that because of how good stuff sounds. It's going to sound better if you work together as a team. Yeah. You know, build up songs together, get quieter together, let the dynamics work for themselves. Yeah. And when you've got a bit of anticipation in a song, maybe it's a bit before a chorus, like that little um, delay section there. It just kind of lets people know that something's around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've broken your rhythm for a reason. Like a drum... It's like a drum fill, I guess. Yeah, you can, you know, you often hear drum fills, you often yeah. hear cymbal hits. Now let's look at the mechanics of what we're doing here as well. Yeah, because Carlos was asking about how you relax your hand while you're playing and remain relaxed. I think that was that, some of the focus of what he was asking. That's right. Obviously, with rhythm, you want to be controlled, but with a musical instrument, you forever walk that fine line between being controlled but being relaxed. Now, I teach a lot of kids guitar from age four upwards, and often the youngest, like the four- and five-year-olds, they kind of get so far, for the most part, and then kind of go, oh, I've had enough of that. Mm. And I can only assume it's when, in my 20 years plus of teaching, I've seen this a lot, it's usually when the hard work kicks in. Because an instrument gets to a point where the work kicks in, and a lot of kids of that age are not, they don't have homework and stuff as such, you know, it may be, or not to any great degree. And so everything they do is, is done sort of there and then. Now, guitar requires plenty of homework if you're going to make it work. Mm. You know, and a little goes a long way. Practicing a few times a week will, will, will be a hell of a lot better than not picking it up at all. But I think part of what brings them to the instrument in the first place is they see bands and stuff they see people making it look easy and there must be a subconscious penny dropping going wow sounds amazing looks easy and of course how we make it look easy is all of the practice all of the times when we sound rubbish all of the times when it doesn't work which are on the road to making it work now, when we're making a rhythm like this work, I'm actually doing all downstroke. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I was, you, you were probably about to answer it, but I was going to ask you why you chose all downstrokes on the offbeat. Drive, right. Driving rhythm? It feels most natural to me. So I'm doing some muting. Our chords that I've chosen here, you know, for the most part are bar chords, even though I could choose open chords. There's a good reason for that. When we want that kind of choppy, accented rhythm, open chords, you can mute by gently lifting off the chord without mm. completely abandoning the fretboard. You can do that to the fretted notes, but you can't do it to the open strings. So you get some of the notes being muted and some of the notes not. Yeah. So it doesn't really work. So really, you're better off with a bar chord, because that way... You can mute it as you like. Yep. No problem. So that's that. Also, I'm not always playing the full version of the chord because I don't always need to if I'm playing it with a band. You yeah, know, if, peel it back a bit, don't you? Yeah. If I was playing it on acoustic guitar with a singer, you know, or, or me singing a song like that or something, I would probably have to use fuller sounding chords. So I would use maybe the full E minor. <laughs> I would use the full G and F sharp minor and so on. But in a band, you know, sometimes the lower notes, it's sonic space that you don't always have to visit. You yeah. Know, if the bass player is kind of doing that, you know, you, you're not really adding in anything to it by, by putting that in there. You're just 
sometimes just muddying the waters. Yeah. You know, and, and the more instruments that you're playing with, you know, be it a brass section or, or lots of harmony vocals going on or keyboards, even more so, you probably want to stay out of everybody's way. And that way your guitar sound will shine through rather than cause any kind of chaos in the track. Yeah. So what I'm doing here, I'm hitting the low strings and then I'm lifting off. So it's almost like a percussive hit, but it's not just a percussive hit. There are notes there. So it's that quick. So I'm hitting the note with a downstroke. So the A, the D, the G. But there are notes. It's super quick. Then I'm going for a fuller strum. That's it. So that bit of the end. So I hold the chord down there. That's it. Coming in ah. early, I think. Start with a down. Thanks for this, by the way, Carlos. <laughs> See, it's handy it's for very everybody. Helpful, yeah. The thing with rhythm guitar is it's it's such an important skill. Yes, it's yes. such an important skill, and it's so it's kind of hard to learn as well. I think so it's kind, of kind of maligned or left to the side or not. Yeah, not looked at enough. Yeah, you know, it's hard to find good information on it. I think. Yeah, it, it is. It kind of is, and it's one of those. I'm going to relay, I'm sorry, I apologise if I've relayed this story before, but I had an incident, incident makes it sound like it's something criminal, <laughs> but I, I had a, a thing that happened to me some years back, probably, we're probably talking almost 10 years ago now, maybe not quite so much, but moving it's, in that direction. It's sounding more and more criminal, Dan. It is. <laughs> but carry on. <laughs> it was a dark night, an owl hooted. Sorry, <laughs> I got carried away. <laughs> Appeared from the shadows with a Fender Strat, eighty-seven Deluxe. Um, <laughs> well, but yeah, I used to attend this jam night up in Essex in Stamford Le Hope, and it was great fun. I was, I ended up becoming part of the house band, and we weren't paid much. You know, every two weeks we went up there, we dragged our gear all the way up to Essex, which cost <laughs> about twenty quid in petrol, and got got paid 35 quid for playing for a couple of hours on the Sunday night. Hardly a money spinner, but I met some wonderful people and it was a good laugh. Now, one night, this kid got up, probably like about 11 or 12 or something, and he blasted his way through a few tracks. And admittedly, I'll admit, his lead playing, he'd, you know, seriously worked on it. He was very quick. Fairly precise. I wouldn't say his lead playing was necessarily particularly inventive, but this is an 11 or 12-year-old kid, you know, come on, you know, give, give him some due for putting in the hours and making it work. So his lead playing was truly impressive for the age and probable time he'd been playing. You know, I've met people who've been playing three times as long who play who can't play that sort of thing. But his rhythm playing, meh. It was in time and everything, but it was just all fairly basic bar chords and power, well, power chords, really. Nothing really particularly interesting. Nothing groovy. Nothing groovy, nothing interesting, nothing adding an extra note there just to add a bit of interest, you know, adding the ninth or something like that. You know, they're, they're, it was just blocky bar chords or power chords, rather. But my point being, you know, we buy into the lead playing bit. Yeah. And that's like the glory boy stuff that reels a lot of us in. 
you know, a lot of us guys, and if we are brutally honest, for the majority, with a few exceptions, it is guys. I heard an interesting thing uh, that Steve Lucas has said about that. He's talking about being 60 years old and speed. Yeah. And he was saying how nice it is that he no longer has to be part of that com- competition. Yeah. Like he's peeled away from that race, if you like, because there's plenty of people that I guess he's saying yeah. that are faster than him even, you know? Yeah. And it's it's good that he's peeled away from that and he's playing with feel. A couple of people have said that on things mm. I've listened to recently about how it's not about how fast you can play. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about how much feeling you can push across. And I know you subscribe to that as well. I do. Know. I mean, I, I grew up through the shred movement, really. You know, yeah. I started guitar when I was, I guess, about nine or ten. So it really, I think it was 1982. My word. Yeah. <laughs> That's really hitting it on the head, isn't I it? Know. The old shred movement as it, well. It is. So, yeah, I, I remember Mike Varney ran the Shrapnel record label yeah. sort of the mid to late 80s. And that brought up people like Jason Becker, Marty Friedman, Chris Impetrelli. Yeah, there was absolutely, absolutely loads of great players on, on his label. And then you had Music for Nations, where you had Ingve Malmsteed and Steve Vai and, and Joe Satriani. And I guess because of the time Steve Lukather was playing, he did get wrapped up in all of that. Yeah. Um, I still like playing fast. I enjoy playing fast. It's a challenge and it's great to keep your technique up there. But I also realised that there's a lot more to guitar playing besides. And actually having your sound. Sometimes doing a challenge, which isn't a speed challenge so much, but is maybe a, a challenge technically that you weren't expecting. There's an awful lot of rock guitarists. I've come across quite a few that I know. Who can't really play anything funky? Yeah. Yeah, they can play some pretty serious rock stuff, but they can't bash out a Nile Rogers riff. Yeah. And of course, if you, you know, that is the epitome of being the human metronome and keeping in time, making it funky, keeping it really in the pocket. But yeah, the, as far as this little ch- sort of chap was concerned that I was referring to, his lead playing was clearly where the effort had gone. Yeah. And I think it's it's kind of how kind of rock guitar has sort of evolved in a way. Is it is sort of you know we we bought into the lead thing more and more and more. Yeah. You know, but if you want to be a session guitar player, if you want to make songs sound good, if you want to write good songs, you need to know what the cool chords are. You need to know what makes a song tick, what makes a song groove. How are you going to slip your guitar part in there? You know, there's plenty of times where I've said to people what do you like you know what do you want to learn what song do you want to learn and they come up with no offence but like a stupid like idea and you kind of go okay that's a hardcore dance track Hmm. you might be on the wrong instrument (laughs) (laughs) but you know sometimes just sometimes you can take some of that and you can put it on guitar yeah, yeah. If you've got a good sense of groove and rhythm. It's where the creative stuff happens, isn't it? Sometimes in the fusion. And, and sometimes and guitar like appears on, on stuff like that. Remember this? There it is. Yes. Or something along those lines. Yeah. So you get little bits of guitar playing that appear. Cape by the ocean. Okay, all right, yeah. Or something yeah, that's got, like that. it's got a groove, hasn't it? Right. Yeah.
Disney tunes have been asked for. Theme tunes. Yeah. Pirates <laughs> <laughs> of the Caribbean. But, you know, that kind of ability to kind of listen to the music, whether it's guitar or not, and listen to the rhythm and see what you can do with it. Because yeah, you want to be a musician you know. as opposed to a... I mean, we love the guitar, it's our voice, but you want to be a musician, really, primarily, I would say. Of course, yeah. You know? Absolutely. So when it comes to the rhythm playing, let's talk about not just the mechanics of what we're doing. Let's talk about staying loose. Yeah, Staying great. Loose. Really, with with sort of rhythm playing, it seems to work best, as with, in, in my humble opinion, most things on the guitar, if you are relaxed yep. and you work sort of from the wrist. So you keep your wrist nice and relaxed and let the hand almost sort of fall on the strings. Now, I realise this causes certain problems. Oh, let's let you have a, a bash at that, Gary. Sorry. little embellishments there as well Dan <laughs> yeah so when I was playing this in the band one thing I did just to add a little bit of interest so it wasn't you know four minutes of drudgery cruising through these chords was I used to add either two note chords yeah so like last week's lesson or last two weeks ago lesson yeah we were talking about learning the scales a third apart yep so for all those listening have a listen to that lesson and listen to that bit it's sort of towards the end. But sometimes what I would do with this particular tune is I would add those things in the top. So or even more unusual chord combinations on, say... three strings goodness yeah so you know just little really cool so we're in D aren't we so on it those sort of things are kind of now quite hardwired in my brain yeah they're going to get there for me yeah. they sort of need to be for you to sort of spit them out like that but you, you get the idea yeah. so stay relaxed one thing which is often a byproduct of this and I found this especially true when I started playing some of the more technically challenging things when you play with a more relaxed hand your pick has a habit of flying out of your fingers yeah, I've noticed that. Okay. What I think happens over time is you get better at repositioning your pick. Yeah, so it with, spins round. Yeah, That's right. So you get better at that. You also get better at working the angle of the pick so that you've got a less resistance. Yeah. 
in the so, right time for the piece, I guess, as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there are certainly things you can do. You know, if you angle the pick, we've discussed this before, I know, but like a 45-degree angle, you get that nice little click in the top of everything. Yeah. Or you can on. play very much with the pick, right and not right angles, or such a right sort of beside the string so you're not at 45 degrees yeah. you're pointing towards your thumb towards the head stuff. much more jazzy kind of quite gypsy jazz type tone I guess yeah Almost. it takes the edge off it a little bit doesn't it yeah it's a subtle thing but it's there yeah but when you're trying these things don't worry if your pick flies out of your hand if you are playing live one thing that can help is these things are about seven quid or something. But on my mic stand, I've got, I've got one of these Dunlop pick holders. Yeah. And I've actually kind of gaffered it to my mic stand so it can't go nowhere. Yeah. And you can just place picks in it. And if you drop one, you've got one right there or however many you put in there. And it really kind of helps, especially in the early days of trying to... You don't want to be running, rummaging around in a tin behind you on top of your amp or... Like, Mid-song, you know. turn your guitar down, turn around, <laughs> yeah. That's right, so that's one practical mm. thing you can do. One thing that I, I said to Carlos today when I was emailing him was about use of a compressor. I don't know how many people out there understand what a compressor does. It's one of those effects that is almost... Although you can hear what it does. It's almost, I guess, sort of felt rather than heard. What I was saying to um, Carlos was that it's worth sometimes when you're playing rhythm, when it's got to be very precise, doing the following steps. Take your guitar and place the sound so it's not maybe sort of full out. You've got fair volume. So you can hear it properly. Now, keeping a rhythm the same and even... See how quietly you can strum. What's in the middle? Bring it up, Greg. And all I'm doing here is when I'm playing softly, I've got a lighter grip on my pick. And then... I'm just digging in a bit harder. And it's all about this digging first in. finger. So I've got my thumb on one side of the pick, my first finger on the other. Yeah. When I'm playing lightly, there's movement for that pick. It can pivot. Yep. Okay? Gotcha. This is really anal stuff. But True, I'll tell you what, it's yeah. the physics behind what makes this stuff tick. This is the stuff people don't tell you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is the, this is the stuff that you can't read on the back of a packet of Ernie Ball strings. <laughs> so your pick kind of pivots. Now, the more you squeeze that finger towards your thumb without putting any pressure on it, the less that pick pivots. Therefore, the more it's in contact with that yep. string and offering resistance. So, for the same strum, you're getting louder. So, so here's me really just being gentle with it. Now I'm going to offer some resistance. Now I'm digging in as well. We don't want to hold on to our pick. And this is a red bear pick that you and I keep losing and thinking <laughs> expensive. But you don't want to, as a rule, hold... Sorry. I just got another one. Whoa! <laughs> don't tell his missus. He borrowed a chair off her for one lesson and broke it. It was a spare room. <laughs> it <definitely> was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And losing that red bear pick was a spare room offence for myself. <laughs> I just put myself <laughs> in the spare room on that occasion. I, I know what's going to happen. I think I'll go through this time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm crying. We don't. We, we don't. We don't want to hold our pick hard, hard. Yeah. Um, if anything, if you think of a, a medium kind of grip where the pick can move a bit. All we're doing actually is loosening that off for a real quiet strum, not really digging in. We're just brushing the top of the strings in a controlled way. And then as we just offer a little more resistance, 
volumes coming out. Now I started digging in a little bit. And I will say the, these are minute things. These are the yeah. feel things that, yeah. you know, you don't have to, you know, I was saying to somebody today, guitar is almost like kind of quantum physics. It's like the most minute gaps, string height can be the difference between playing pleasure and playing fail. Yeah. And yeah. I was relaying to somebody, I bought one of those Gibson Les Paul standards back in 215 where they, they made the neck 2.75 millimetres wider. Now, you can have gaps on panels of massive ships which are allowed to be even half an inch out. Yeah, yeah. And they're all right. Or a yeah. shop a bit out there and no water will get in. Yeah. But <laughs> i tell you what, it, I, it tripped me up. 2.7 mils of wood tripped me up. I just couldn't get on with it. So with guitar, we're talking tiny things often. Yeah. Tiny differences. Look how thin our strings are. Yeah. You know, you tiny, minute changes in how you approach your strings with the pick is the difference between it sounding great and sounding shockingly bad. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Using your fingers, you know, different sounds. Yeah. There's so many different variations that you can make. Aren't That's there? right. If if I adjust my pickups for height, I find sometimes one sixty fourth of an inch is the difference between pickup joy and like, you know, yeah, it ain't there yet, sorry. It's tiny, tiny little things, especially like the you know, the more in tune with guitars and music you get, you know, you end up with ears like a bat and it's like a double edged sword, you know. Do you know, I have, uh, I sometimes am teaching some of my classes at school and there's a few of them whispering at the back. And I sometimes say, I wouldn't be talking about that if I was you. They've, they've said I've got ears like a bat. And it's because, it's because, it's, I don't think it's that you can hear quieter things better. I think it's that you can focus your attention in a different way. You can go, I'm listening to that voice now. I'm going to pick it up. Yeah. Whereas you can't do that without that practice. And you're listening for certain things. Yeah. You know, you're listening for certain things that you're expecting or you want to be there or you, you think should be there. or And it's kind of like when everything sort of works out, even with, sort of, as I say, something as crazy as like your pickup height or your string height. It's like all the planets align and you go, oh, I'm relieved now. That's the way it should be. What's that English guitarist we were talking about earlier? Adrian, Adrian Legg. Adrian Legg, thank you. He said that he got a perfect setup at one point. He got the amp absolutely perfect. Everything was spot on for him. It was the best sound he'd ever had. And he immediately had to get rid of it because he knew he wouldn't be able to get better than that. So he wanted to return back to that raw playing. Isn't that, I mean, obviously he's like still got a great sound, Mm -hmm. but he's got rid of this setup because he didn't want that perfection. Isn't that mental? It's crazy stuff. I mean, <laughs> Interesting, though, as well. Because he would be dissatisfied by everything else afterwards. It is strange, though. Like, when you... You know, to be a guitar player and to not have some prospective purchase burbling in the background. Oh, yeah. To not want... You're not a guitar player, really, if you haven't got it, that. <laughs> it just feels wrong. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, every guitar player I know has got... Has got something that they want to buy or something that they're planning on or they're going to trade this in or sell that or whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, but I think we're always searching for the elusive. But it's almost like the searching is our exciting part. Yeah. And if you so, actually find it, that's... Then what? Yeah, what then? You know, I mean, I've, I've stuck with, you know, I've stuck with Cornford Amps for quite a few years now. I've been using Cornford Amps since, I think, 2009. So, yeah. Paul Cornford, if you're listening, Paul, we've got a website. Get in touch. <laughs> Paul, I'm going to say this and say this only once. And Martin, Martin Kidd, he designed the amp I used, the MK50 Mark II. You boys are sorely missed. I know Martin's got victory, but do you know what? There's so many guitarists with a soft spot for the Cornfords. They're such a lovely amp, so beautifully put together, so immensely good sounding, and so practically done for the modern musician. Yeah, so practically sort of put together so so they serve the needs of the musician well rather than serving the needs of the amp manufacturer. We would not be sorry if you returned to the fray. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Over and out. And if you want a Dan Davis signature amp... <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy with that. 
Uh, brilliant. I've often thought what would be my what would be my ideal Cornford signature amp. And there's some changes I would make, but not many. Yeah. Interestingly, when they were in full flow, Paul Cornford on several occasions said to Guthrie Govan, "We will build you a signature amp." Because they built one for Joe Satriani, they built the Hellcat, they built one for Richie Cotson as well, the RK100. Mm. And rumour had it that Gary Moore loved the original Cornford Mark I so much, but he wanted a 100-watt one and they built him one. Ah. Rumour has it. That's out there somewhere. Possibly. That's what I heard, possibly. <laughs> Sounds like a Monty Python sketch wanting to search for the MK100. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But yeah, Guthrie actually said, you know what, the amp is so good, it's so perfect, don't make me anything. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And it is... is High praise. High praise indeed. And it is an immensely good amplifier, no doubt about it. Yeah. So yeah, but I think it's it's our elusive continuous search isn't it yeah and we were talking about compressors weren't we and oh uh, sorry we've got well off track yeah. haven't we i, I, I just remember myself we were we were talking about compressors and how they make the notes jump Good out blind. time to rewash yeah. <laughs> oh yeah compressors <laughs> yeah compressors elude some people but they're actually quite a simple device really but someone's setting them up so they they serve you well can be can be a bit of a task if you don't know how to do it. And a compressor can work in several different ways as well. You can right. use them like a clean boost if you want to. Yeah. Now, when we use an overdrive or a distortion, either a, a box on the floor or the distortion the amp's got, it's got its own compression. Yeah. So in that instance, the compression of an overdrive or distortion channel is it evens out the sound. So it evens out the volume. So, if I'm playing a distortion, I'll put mine on drive sound. So, if I'm playing a low note, or a high note, everything's pretty even. Yep. Nothing is kind of glaring and standing out like a sore thumb. Yep. With a clean sound, it doesn't have that compression that kind of ties everything together. Yeah. So you can sometimes find that either like the highs... Gets noisy. Sorry? Might get noisy when you're moving your hand and stuff like that. If anything, a compressor might make it more noisy because it's sort of boosting things. But sometimes with a clean sound, you you get sort of peaks and troughs. Yeah. You might get like the bass booming through. And the the treble's buried, or the the treble cutting through, and you so you you, you sometimes get an unevenness. Yeah, clean sounds by their very nature, especially at low volumes or modest volumes, can be a bit uneven. As you turn a valve amp up, you know you start working the power section, and then a little bit of compression kind of comes into play. But on most amps with a truly clean clean channel, it can still benefit from a little bit of help from a compressor for certain things. So what a compressor can do is it is it basically lifts up the troughs in the sound mm. and suppresses the peaks. Mm. So if you think normally a clean sound might be sort of a bit all over the show, you know, where maybe you know some some things are kind of some frequencies are shining through or some 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 strings are sounding a lot louder than others. What a compressor does is it kind of puts everything in the same kind of place. So anything that's not quite as loud as maybe it should be, it can bring up the volume of. And anything that's peaking and going over the threshold, it can bring that down and suppress it. So sometimes the notes that you usually get buried in the mix a little bit when you're playing rhythm kind of come up and get louder. So with my clean sound, I don't know how this is going to work out. Let's see. There's quite a warm bottom end at this volume. You find with this particular amp that the bottom end sort of drains away a little bit as you turn it up. So what a compressor would probably do is boost... Boost the bass a little bit. Probably suppress those notes. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And boost the top notes, so... bass is kind of like a bit fuller than the the top so 
a compressor would even that out a little bit, maybe gotcha. boosting the level of, of the top strings, bringing the, the level of the bottom strings down a little bit. So the amp automatically suppresses the bass as you increase the volume. Well, on this particular one, it does. I mean, you, you yeah. have to kind of judge it on an amp-by-amp basis. Yeah. I think as well, when we're listening to an amp in, in a confined space like a room, it's not like taking it out live. When you take an amp out live, you're really in a completely different bracket. You know, you're you're not just sort of listening to it and it's sounding really big because mm. it's, you know, you know, quite a sort of beefy sounding amp for the size room you're at. Actually what you what you you get when you take it out live is you're there with another guitar player and a bass player and, and a drummer and it's suddenly not gonna sound quite as meaty. Mm. You know, but also it seems a, a byproduct, possibly of a one by twelve combo. Here is that as we push it, bass kind of drains away a little bit. But yeah. actually, in a live situation, that's not really a problem. That's what a bass player is for. So he's there to fill out the low notes. Yes. Yeah. So it's not yeah. really a, not really an issue. You can also use a compressor. I, I used to use one when I was using an amp that I was always maxing out for my clean sound. So I used to use a compressor to make sure it stayed clean because it would then give me the loudest possible clean sound by suppressing notes that were kind of going over and above yeah. and distort and bringing notes up that, that could be louder if, if we wanted them to. So a compressor can work like that. You can also use a compressor to add sustain to a clean sound so it can add a little bit more weight and sustain to a clean solo. It can, in that regard, make a clean sound behave almost like a dirty sound. Yeah. Where it sustains very well and notes hang on. You know, I've even had it where, where a compressor can send a clean sound into kind of feedback almost. Yeah. Very, very weird. If you want that Dave Gilmore kind of thing, Dave, we love Dave. MXR Dynacomp. Yeah, MXR Dynacomp, Dave. Yeah. If, if you want that Dave Gilmore kind of thing where our sound is, it's definitely driven. But it's not that dirty. Yeah. But it's hanging on for dear life. It's got sustain like you wouldn't believe. Using something like a, well, in his case, it's the Dynacomp. Yeah. Or any decent compressor can also be quite effective. Mm. You can use a compressor as a straightforward clean boost, either into an overdrive or the other side of a drive or, or clean sound if you just want to use it like a boost pedal. Yeah, obviously sort of experiment with the controls as you see fit. Where it works, as I say, for rhythm things, is just keeping everything really tight. Yeah. So it's keeping everything at a uniform volume. You want to make your playing as even as possible first. That's always got to be the first step. Metronome, do you mean? Metronome. In a rhythmic way. Yeah. So timing can be brought together using a metronome. And also I think it can help timing sometimes using a compressor. Because you're able to just sort of concentrate on that timing, maybe rather than always sort of concentrating on how hard am I hitting it, how hard am I hitting it. But obviously getting things as tidy as possible is always, always the best bet. I remember a very little, interesting little saying that I heard when I read an interview with the then Steve Clark and Phil Collin from Def Leppard when they were making the Hysteria album. Mutt Lang was producing it. And they said that with Mutt Lang, there's no fix it in the mix. <laughs> in other words, you don't go you and play a load of crap it. and a load, a load of cock-ups and then we'll, we'll just yeah. sort it out later. So I think there's a good lesson to be learned there for a tidy performance, whether you're playing live or in the studio, is if you think along those lines, you know, whereby yeah. you want to make your playing as tidy as possible and together as possible... And then you're just going to use the effects to enhance already good playing. That's always better than going, well, I can play a load of rubbish and this pedal source it out. Yeah. Every time. It's the equivalent of auto-tune. That's right. <laughs> One thing we, that, I hate auto-tune so much. It's, it can be a little yeah. bit plastic fantastic. One thing that also came up in Carlos's uh, emails was about the volume. And I wanted to talk briefly about that. Yep. Um, so I had a little bit of advice for him. He was going to the jam night, as we mentioned earlier, and sort of seemed to be kind of maybe wrestling with the amp. Yeah. Now, 
There's a couple of suggestions for even making the most basic rig more useful in a live situation. Two channels on your amp. Yeah, it can work for you, but without any pedals or anything, it can be slightly harder work. You know, if you haven't got a sound man to kind of boost you for some of the solo passages, often winding up your volume, especially if you're using higher gain, is not enough. You're almost always going to have to take care of that yourself. Quick question. Yes. The sound man boosting you for your solo. So if you're not in control of that, you've just planned that in advance. Yeah, I mean, usually, usually a sound man, say you, say you get to a venue and you've got a bit of a boost for your solo, but it's not quite enough. You know, it's up to the sound man, you know, to, to go, oh, I think we need a bit more of that. Can you get into a situation with the sound man where, you know, he thinks I'm going to boost you and you you reach down for your volume knob at the same time and over boost because you've both done it or I'm sure it can happen. I mean, generally yeah. in my, in my experience, you know, playing sort of pub and club gigs and things like that and wedding gigs, you take care of the boost yourself. Yeah. If you're playing through a PA system, i.e. you've got like a mic in front of your amp or you've got, um, like I've got on this amp a speaker emulated output. So I plug yeah. in an XLR lead into the desk and we're away. Once something's coming through a PA, often it's quite sensitive to levels of boost and you don't need an awful lot. So you might need, you know, four or five dBs and that's you know, that's enough, you know, to get you over the other members of the band and give you a good mix. Yeah. When you haven't got the luxury of going through a PA system, and if we're brutally honest, you know, these lessons are lessons for common man. You know, yeah, not those, yeah. Not those for playing Wembley. So, you know, most of us find ourselves in a situation where our back line is our sound. You know, I've done lots of wedding gigs where we've mic'd up. I've done a few pub gigs where you play in an exceptionally large place and you're mic'd up. Or festival gigs where the sound man kind of takes care of the mm. majority of your sound. But generally speaking, your amp is your amp. That's, that's what's going to produce your sound. That's what's firing it out to the audience. And I find when I'm not mic'd up, I need considerably more firepower to get over the other guys in the band and hear myself properly. Um, so I need quite a bit more boost than maybe yeah. just the five decibels for a nice room-filling solo sound. Yeah. Now, if you haven't got the luxury of a multi-channel amp and a couple of master volumes on there, there are ways of doing it, even with a single-channel amp. Set your single-channel amp up for your essentially your clean sound or clean-ish sound. And you can either use a clean boost pedal, something like MXR's Microamp. Uh, there's tons of other more expensive and less expensive types of thing that you can look at. But basically, a clean boost. T TC Electronics T-Spark, I think, is another one. Joyo or jo Joyo, Joyo, they do the roll boost. I mean, I use a Coco boost Coco, on my that's big, what I was thinking, big board, actually. and I use a Zvex Channel Two on my small board. That's sir, isn't it? The Coco boost is, is quite pricey. Pricey. Oh. Got it secondhand on eBay for a mm. bit of a killing. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Highly recommend it, though. Great pedal. But yeah, any of those pedals into the loop, and providing your amp isn't maxed out, it will boost whatever sound you've got going on in the front of the amp. If you haven't got an effects loop, or you don't like using an effects loop, but you still want a boost for your solos, another way of doing it is if you set your amp up clean or cleanish, and you have a drive pedal into the front of the amp, and after the drive pedal, you put the same clean boost pedal, or a volume pedal. Either will work. A volume pedal obviously allows you infinite um, stages, yeah. Yeah, some variations in volume. A clean boost is a one a one shot deal. You know, you get to the so it's one reason I use one is because I like that. Get to the solo, hit the boost. Don't worry about how far you put your foot down. That's right. Yeah. Although a lot of people like the volume pedals because you can do volume swells with them, which yeah. is quite nice. Be careful of the the tone sucking qualities of some of them. Some of the passive ones don't always work out quite as well with the robbing you of top end. So yeah, that's another another option. You know, I. I would always say, unless you're going to use the distortion on the amp, it's good to have a drive pedal or something like that, and then a clean boost thereafter. Providing your amp's not too distorted, then it will a clean boost will allow a nice sort of lift for your solos. 
and it'll boost the sound on the amp or the sound of the drive pedal, depending whether you've got that drive pedal engaged or not. And it just makes things more usable. Both my amps have two master volumes, which does the same job for me. And it just means I can go on stage with either amp knowing that I just dial in the amount of boost I want, and there it is. Yeah. Any sound I like at two different volumes. Voila. You know, add a handful of pedals to taste, and you're there. Job done. Yeah, it's not exactly uh, the biggest setup in the world, is it? So that's good. Yeah, that's all very good stuff. Thanks very much. No problem. I hope that's been helpful. I know we've had a lot of chit-chat, but we also looked at some really interesting mechanics of rhythm. So the things to take away, in summary, remember to maybe use muting to great effect, because even a percussive hit of the pick is just as important as a strum. For If you're in any doubt, have a little look at Niall Rogers' guitar work, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Percussive hits all over it. That's the nature of funk guitar. Don't feel you've always got to hit every string. We were doing a percussive hit on the lower string, like the A and the D, and then a fuller strum after that, thus giving us the light and shade, the quieter, the louder. Talking of light and shade, remember about the pick. Holding it lightly, then offering the pick a little resistance from your first finger, and then maybe digging in for louder sounds so that you can take one clean guitar sound or cleanish guitar sound and get a louder or quieter tone. You can even get it to the point, I'll show you very briefly using a distortion sound, folks. If you're using a lightly distorted sound, you can play light enough for it to go clean. Or digging a bit. It starts to break up. But yeah, biting point. Yeah. That's right. If we edge that up a little bit more, maybe. Still got quite a clean sound, yeah. juice than you realise yeah yeah you can hear the sustain on the vibrato on that last night oh yeah as well. well you're gaining some sustain by uh, literally rubbing the string against the wood yeah it's good there it is So even just digging in kind of brings a lot of that gain out. Yep. Which is is not so there if you're playing lightly. It just goes to show you how much light and shade is available right in your hands. Yes, yes. You know, want to rush out and buy a new pickup? Be my guest. Want to rush out and buy the latest drive pedal? Go for it. Want to buy a great amp with more gain than you've ever had in your lifetime for metal? Go for it. But actually, a lot of the time, I know people say it, it's kind of gets a bit boring off one of toes in your fingers. <laughs> but a lot of it is. Unfortunately, those boring old farts have a point. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, know yeah. it's annoying. Yeah. But, the, you know, the, there is a fact of, 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 you know, how you play, the sensitivity with which you play, whether you are absolutely gunning it or being subtle like Mr. Knopfler, it's down to you. You are the master of your tone, whether you're playing through a nasty 10-watt Park transistor amp or whether you're playing through the most wonderful boutique stack you've ever come across. Yeah. You know, whether you're playing a Squire Strout or one of these lovely PRS beasts. Yeah. You know, you really have the tone at your fingertips and yep. you need to sound like you. Keep coming back to that. 
Thanks very I much. I'm going to hammer yeah. it home until it sits in the brain. I'm just trying to be forgotten. Work out what me is still. I know. Well, <laughs> I spent a long time working out what me is. The fat ball bloke that plays the guitar. <laughs> well, I came to. Yeah, yeah. Slightly, slightly older character here playing guitar. But anyway, there we go. It's all good fun. Work it out. So Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that, Carlos, and I hope our other listeners enjoyed that too. Do get in touch. Let us know what like you Carlos, think. Like Carlos, and uh, we'll address your questions. Thanks so very much. Well, good night. God bless. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas, and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals, and guitar tone. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud, or see our website on tunein-toneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs and further research and resources. It's also a good place to get in touch. We hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and as useful as I do. And if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Hey.